Holy cow, it's that time of the week where I get to speak to the original John Boy, not to be confused with Ron Howard or Richard Thomas. We're talking about John Zmirak, the world's oldest living boy genius. John Zmirak, welcome. Thanks, Eric. You know, I never saw one episode of The Waltons as a kid. I would see it come on. I would go, oh, life in the country. And I would get really scared. And I would yes, it would be confusing from the from the point of view of Queens. It would be very confusing. I think um, it's not fair. I think it's unfair to raise children outside New York City. It's all oh, stop it. to live outside New York when you're single. Yes, but once you have children, they need the kids need asphalt to play on. They need traffic to keep them alert. No. <laughs> they need to beat them listen, up. listen. I want to tell you. Uh, because I didn't mention it earlier. I mean, you weren't on when I mentioned it, but the Waltons is one of these shows in the long line of shows on TV where usually it's CBS will put on a family friendly, excellent show. So the Waltons was that uh, touched by an angel was that, and these shows which appeal to middle America to normal people always had the biggest ratings and Hollywood always sneered at these things. It's kind of like it's dirty money. It's Nazi money from from the deplorable uh, flyover country. But it tells you everything, doesn't it? That when you put something out there that appeals to your average American, the numbers are huge. But Hollywood always would sneer. You know, so the people who were making those films, instead of getting awards, they would get sneered at. Oh, you're taking dirty money from the deplorables in Kansas. Well, it sounds like Hollywood's relationship to its viewers is the Republican Party's view relationship to its voters. They find a candidate like Donald Trump who appeals to millions of people and crosses racial lines and class lines. And the elite goes, oh, my God, it's disgusting. The, the people of Walmart like this candidate. We, we Yeah, he must be Adolf Hitler 2.0. Now, listen, uh, you have written so much, uh, John, that I want to make sure we have time to get into this. Uh, you, you write at stream.org. What article shall we talk about that we haven't covered on this program yet? Here's a nice win, someone. Transphobia is good and should be official government policy. Transphobia is good and should be official government policy. That's, the t- that's only the title, folks. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, there was a there was an exchange before the Senate like two weeks ago, and crazy stuff happens so quickly that it disappears because the next insane thing has happened. You know, uh, but two weeks ago, there was a professor from University of California at Berkeley testifying in favor of abortion up through birth for any reason at all, which is what the Democrats want. Um, They pretend that, oh, we only want to allow it for 10-year-old girls who were raped by Jeffrey Dahmer on top of the Washington Monument. But in fact, they want it for everybody who happens to be like in law school or using it as birth control. They want abortion for everyone paid for by the government in religious hospitals stuffed down your throat. But they're pretend. All right. So she was testifying about how uh, protecting unborn life would have a negative impact on people who become pregnant, who can become pregnant. And Senator Josh Hawley said, do you mean women? 
And she got really upset. She said, there are, there are many types of people who can become pregnant. There, there are cis, there are trans, trans men and there are genderqueer. And she went through a whole list of made up nonsense terms that sound like uh, Pokemon characters. Uh, <laughs> John, that's, you have just nailed it. No one has ever said that. That's exactly all these terms. And, and, and again, uh, you know, I always interrupt you because you say these things and I, I want to underscore this. Ladies and gentlemen, most people and John and I are speaking for those people. Most people know this stuff is crazy. It is crazy, crazy, crazy. And you need to know that most people know that it's crazy. So go I, ahead. I, Unfortunately, we have to take these lunatics seriously. Like when I was three years old, I, my uncle was a cop. I got hold of his service revolver and I was walking around the room pointing it at various people. They had to take me seriously. They had to reason with me at two, year, three, two years old because I had the gun. Well, the lunatics who, who, who worship these Pokemon characters and claim that there are 47 genders. The lunatics have the gun, folks. So I'm sorry. We do have to patiently analyze. We can't just wave it off as crazy. Once we've won politically and we're putting these people to work, you know, in chain gangs, building monuments for us, that's fine. But uh, right now we have to take these lunatics seriously. So she would not admit that abortion law only affects women because only women can become pregnant. She was acting as if it was like the trial of Joan of Arc and she was trying to avoid saying anything heretical. <laughs> John, John, wait, 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 wait. We're, we're going to have to go to break. This is a short segment, but I, I just want to say this. This is actually good news because even in the service of quote unquote abortion rights, in other words, these people are deadly serious about wanting uh, to have the legal right to kill children up until and including at birth, even in that sacred to them cause, they cannot shut their mouths about this other crazy stuff. In other words, you would say, just stay on message, stay on message. It's about abortion rights. Even in that moment, they are they're fracturing. When we come back, we will examine uh, the fracturing in greater depth with John Zmirak. Don't go away. And I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old. And I looked at him and my blood ran cold. And I said, my name is Sue. Welcome back. Talking to John Zmirak. John, I, I was just saying that I am astonished that in a moment where you would think people on the radical pro-abortion left would want to stay on message. It's about that. Even in that moment, this person that you're talking about goes into this crazy litany about how all kinds of people can get pregnant, not just quote unquote women. That's to me a good sign well, that it's the snake swallowing its own tail. It's a sign that what they have is a new religion. Correct. And it has dogmas and they do not want to get on the wrong side of those dogmas because it also has an inquisition called Twitter, called human, human resource departments. If you commit heresy on any of the dogmas of the new religion, which, hey, I just neutrally call it gay Sharia. 
Okay, just let's just, I don't want to offend anyone. So we're just going to call the new religion that prevails in America gay Sharia. And I have, I have a whole article about that. But if every tenet of gay Sharia is equally sacred, the fact that there are 47 genders, the fact that you, have, you can kill a baby up through birth, the fact that you need to start grooming kids at age two and three with made up information about these fictitious genders and get them thinking about sex when they, they can barely control their, their bladders. Um, these things are all equally important. And you can't commit heresy on any of the dogmas or you will lose your salvation. You will be banned from Twitter. You won't get to write for the New Yorker. You might not be allowed to live in Park Slope, Brooklyn at all. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, John, that but again, this to me is good news. It's 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 you know, when you look at any kind of revolution um, and when I say revolution, I say it in the negative sense. Right. These 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 are real uh, ideologically driven, utopianist, Marxist, crazy revolutions. At some point, uh, to uh, to use the term from uh, Happy Days, the 70s sitcom, at some point they jump the shark. At some point they show a level of desperation that makes everyone realize they're desperate. They're desperate because they wouldn't do this. If you're coming from a position of strength, you don't do that. So for a woman testifying for abortion rights to get off into this stuff because the atmosphere is so crazy, I think is a sign of hope. It's kind of like when Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. He knew that the Soviet Union was a Potemkin village, that with one big shove, the whole thing's going to go down. And everybody in the State Department says, no, 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 no. They're very strong. We, we can't say anything like that with them. Reagan knew intuitively that it's, uh, it's a Potemkin village that they are weak. They are internally ready to crumble. I see the signs. I'm not going to back down. Well, they are certainly acting like the French revolutionaries in 1795, turning around and guillotining each other. But right. they haven't even taken complete control. They, 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 they turned on themselves before even taking complete control. But they are really trying hard to take complete control. They're going to try to prevent... Donald Trump from running for re-election. And if he is elected, they're going to try to take stop him from taking office. Um, everybody needs to read a new article by Michael Anton at, Comp- at, at Compact Magazine. And I will send you the link so you can post it on Twitter. Well, actually, make sure you post it uh, on Twitter and I will retweet I will it. post it on Twitter. But the, the point is, the point of my article at stream.org is transphobia is a made-up term, but but what it represents is something we should embrace. Gender dysphoria is a mental illness like anorexia or bulimia, where false cognitions about your body drive you to do things that are self-destructive, medically dangerous, and will, will cause you suffering in the long run. Our culture has decided to enable and encourage these sexual anorexics, these sexual bulimics, to cut off their healthy genitals, cut off their healthy breasts, take dangerous hormones of the kind that give people cancer, become addicted to pharmaceutical interventions for their whole lives. It's the same people who want organic food 
served in public schools want the same kids to be on artificial hormones their entire lives to accommodate some mental delusion which was planted in their heads. The liberals want to spread gender dysphoria among kids. That's why they want Drag Queen Story Hour. Back in March 2020, I made a a joke in a column. I said, having Drag Queen Story Hour encourages gender confusion among kids. It's like having COVID Story Hour at nursing homes. Two weeks later, Andrew Cuomo floods the nursing homes with COVID patients, and so do all the blue state governors, killing thousands of elderly Americans. I'm afraid when I write a satire, the left is reading it for policy ideas, and they take the ideas and run with them. Well, just as the Holy Spirit has gifted you to speak uh, truth, there are uh, demons on the other side of it. This is a spiritual battle, John. We're dealing with the darkest forces imaginable. We're dealing with darkness itself. And I want to say... I, I just want to say that we just because we need to say it, people struggling with what's called gender dysphoria who are uh, sexually confused about their attractions, our hearts should break for these people. Yeah. These are people that throughout history, just like any anybody, they are suffering. You do not deal with them um, only by mocking them or whatever. You have to have compassion. But Compassion in this case means telling them the truth or or telling the world the truth about what they're going through so that we don't harm them, like giving them the gun you were talking about to, to harm themselves. And that's exactly what's happening. If you if, if you see somebody, if you see a man who, who thinks he's a woman, your heart should break. Your heart should break. But telling them, oh, yes, yes. You're a woman and we're going to help you do whatever you can. That is not love, folks. That is not how you love a broken person. That's right. And just like if your daughter had anorexia and she looked like one of the victims of the Nazis liberated in 1945, you could see all her bones, you could see her ribs. When she looked in the mirror and said, Daddy, I look fat, don't I? You would not agree with her. You would not help your bulimic daughter. You would not stick your finger down your bulimic daughter's throat to help her vomit because you're affirming her identity. No, you would try to help her. And unfortunately now, the psychiatrists aren't willing to actually help them. They just want to send them to the... That's, this, this is, this is the point. Folks, we've got more. We've got much more ahead with John Zmirak. Uh, don't go away. Folks, welcome back. Talking to John Zamirak. In hour two, we're going to have an update from John Strand about our friend Simone Gold, uh, who is in prison because of the January 6th fake insurrection from hell. Okay. John, what's happening? Well, I've got another piece at stream.org that follows uh, called Christian Nationalism or Gay Sharia. There really is no option C. We are being inundated, we conservative Christians, with fear propaganda and shame propaganda about a so-called threat 
of something called Christian nationalism. This is a, a buzzword that some leftist, probably some PR guy who works with George Soros, he brainstormed, he came up with it and then released it onto the world. Christian nationalism is meant to sound kind of similar to white nationalism. And it's supposed to make you think of the of Klansmen and torches and police spraying fire hoses on, on, on little black kids in suits and ties. Just the way they coined the term election denier to sound like Holocaust denier. So, or they coined the term homophobia or transphobia. Right. They like to they like to coin terms because they don't have arguments. And so they coin terms to use them as bludgeons. Right. Just like in 1984. George Orwell, please continue. Uh, it's it's the, the, like the, the way the Nazis came up with the term Judeo-Bolshevism. Judeo-Bolshevism links Jewish and communist as if they're one phenomenon. Judeo-Bolshevism, and they use that term to try to persuade people that all Jews are communists, all communists are Jews, so they should all be persecuted. Right now, the left is using Christian nationalism in that sense. If you press them, as to what Christian nationalist actually means, you find out it's everything in America before like 1962. Oh, I mean, Abraham Lincoln, Thomas Jefferson, Franklin Roosevelt, these people were all Christian nationalists under the current definition. Every president before Lyndon Johnson was a Christian nationalist by this standard. But you see magazines like Christianity Today and commentators like David French writhing about, we must avoid the dangerous threat of Christian nationalism. What it means is Christians voting their conscience. You're not allowed to. Christians are not allowed to vote their consciences, not even on moral issues that aren't derived complete purely from the Bible, like abortion. Presumably, Martin Luther King was a Christian nationalist because he was grounding his opposition to, to segregation in biblical ethics. Anyone who fought in World War II against the Nazis because as a Christian, he opposed fascism and genocide, those were Christian nationalists. If you ever watch Saving Private Ryan, that was Christian nationalists landing on the beaches at Normandy to liberate Europe. We need to adopt the term Christian nationalist and be proud of it the way Marjorie Taylor Greene has. The way gays have adopted the term queer and now they use it unashamedly. That's what we need to do with the term Christian nationalist because what is the alternative to Christian nationalism? Well, there's pagan globalism. There's pagan tribalism. Um, nationalism in this context simply means you want to govern your own country. You don't want to be ruled by a global empire, and you don't want to break your country up into a bunch of squabbling little tribes. So Christian nationalism is a moderate middle path. It's the golden mean, and we should all embrace it. And the alternative- okay, we're going to be back in hour two with more Zmirak. And don't forget, folks, go to metaxastalk.com. Click on the banner. We need your help. We need your help. Please go to metaxastalk.com. God bless you. John, you 
you're talking about an article you wrote at stream.org and you're basically saying we have a choice between Christian nationalism and what you're calling gay Sharia, which I find funny because gay Sharia sounds like the good version of what we're really going through. We're, we're really going through trans madness Sharia. We're going through uh, deconstructing humanity Sharia. Basically, it's this kind of anti-God, anti-reality madness. And people are saying, oh, this is the way to go. It's It's Gnosticism. Yeah. But that's too that's too wonkish and pointy headed. So let's stick with gay Sharia. It's got to keep it simple. Imagine the lavender jackboots made with from ostrich skin. You know, it, it, it works. So what we already live under a theocratic regime. But it's not Christian nationalism. It is gay Sharia. That is my argument in this piece at stream.org. Okay, but I I just have to interrupt and say that there are a lot of people. Now, you and I, as Christians, we would say if I had same-sex attraction, I I should not go in that direction. As a Christian, uh, I I know that that's not God's will. But there are many people that that identify as gay or that are even married to somebody of the same sex who would agree with us that the LGBTQ, LMNOP, that that, that, that that activist madness has gone infinitely beyond what they had hoped. They had hoped only, you know, just respect us as people and let us do our thing. Um, we are so far beyond that. So I just want to be clear, when you're talking about gay Sharia, you are talking about stuff that that people like Dave Rubin and uh, and many others would would agree with you. I just but want to be unfortunately, clear. Unfortunately, Eric, once you grant their premises, once you jump down the gathering swamp slope, you keep falling down the sea. You can't just we stop know that. We, right, no, so, no, no, no. We, we know that. I just want to be really clear that there are a lot of people that <laughs> would still say I'm gay, uh, but, but I don't agree. But I but I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, so this is wanna, we're living in a crazy time right now. You don't want to groom seven year olds in public schools. Yeah. But yeah, unfortunately, the, again, once you're on the slippery slope to the sea with the rest of the gathering swine, you're going to drown. All right. So here's why I think we live under a gay theocracy. About a week ago, there was a segment on Fox News, supposedly the conservative network in America. Uh, hosted by Kennedy, and um, one of the guests was Brad Palumbo, this gay libertarian. Uh, another was a woman whose name I don't know. And then there was Ned Ryan, who's a, a courageous conservative. Ned Ryan is a stinking hero. Right. So Ned Ryan, in this segment, talks about how, given that there's a new pandemic, monkeypox, that is spread mostly by gay men having sex with hundreds of strangers at public orgies. Now, wait a minute. Now, by the way, that is true. Therefore, let's be clear. Monkeypox is not a pandemic. It is basically inflated so that people think it's a pandemic. The reality is it's not. And as you just said, and as Ned said correctly, it is being spread almost exclusively by this nightmarish scenario. Let me continue here. This is a new, it will be a pandemic. It will be spread everywhere if, if, if enough gay men have enough orgies so that they are, they're like spreading on their shopping, on the shopping carts and things. They will take it like AIDS. It will become a pandemic of the general population if it is not stopped now. 
Gays in the 80s refused to close the bathhouses. The, the LGBTQ, my name is Legion movement, wouldn't close the bathhouses, wouldn't discourage mass promiscuity. So AIDS became a pandemic that killed millions. Monkeypox is spreading now through gay orgies with hundreds of strangers having sex with each other. Ned Ryan pointed this out in this discussion on Fox News, and all three of them, Kennedy, Palumbo, and the other one, they jumped on him as if he had taken out a Confederate flag and given it a Nazi salute. Oh my God, how how can you stigmatize and demonize? This is not just a gay disease. And, And I thought, oh, wow. Remember COVID? When they closed all our churches and, and the pastors who still had church services, they were condemned as having super spreader events. And when one of them or two of them died of COVID, the left got on Twitter and TV and they sneered. They, they laughed at the deaths of these people. They said that unvaccinated people ought to die of COVID. And they called church services inessential, super spreader events. So in America, church services are inessential and are not worth keeping open during a pandemic. But anonymous orgies of hundreds of gay men are sacred, are essential. They are sacred religious rituals to our new religion. One other piece of evidence. During the holiday season, how many businesses mention Christmas? Not holiday, but Christmas. How many emails do you get from Uber or Macy's or anybody that even mentioned Christmas? My estimate would be zero. But during Pride Month, they have a whole month where every billion-dollar corporation sends you pride, 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 pride. So which is the official religion? Which is the intolerant religion that's being shoved down people's throats? Embrace of random sexuality, the LGBTQ, my name is Legion religion, or Christianity? It is insane for Christians to be worried, oh, am I a Christian nationalist because I don't want to kill babies? Are you a sniveling coward? Are you a Sadducee licking Caesar's boots, begging for scraps from Leviathan, from Caesar? That's what you should be worried about. John, um, I think your great learning has made you mad. Um, Everything you say is true, is, uh, is right on point. Uh, and, uh, we, I, I think part of the health of the culture, uh, is, is that we get to talk about this, that there are people listening to this right now who are, who are agreeing with it and, and, and thinking about it. And, um, I, I'm hopeful, uh, that the merry band of people who see what is really happening will stand firm, will rise up, will fight. We need uh, to fight, folks, we need to do what we can to, to save those who are on the fence. I think there are people you mentioned Kennedy. I was on her podcast recently talking about my book is atheism dead. There are people with whom I disagree on a lot of issues whom I nonetheless like. I really like Kennedy. I disagree with her on a bunch of stuff, but but I don't care. It's not about agreeing with everyone. It, it's about being able to have a conversation right. with people who may be persuaded and, and I think also there are people that are that are good people who don't realize what they're getting in bed with, who don't realize, as you were saying earlier, you know, once you start moving along with the Gadarene herd, you're going to it's not going to end well. 
And I think there are a lot of good people. There are always good people who are sucked along with this. Oh, yeah. I, I post. What would be the point of writing this stuff if we're not trying to convince people? Amen. Them, right. Now you're talking hot shot. So that's the point. It's why you write what you write. It's why I have you on this program, because we want to give uh, encouragement to, to people out there who see what is happening and, and wonder, does anyone else see what I see? I, I mentioned to you, John, uh, I think that last Wednesday I gave a speech in Washington, D.C. at the Young Americans Foundation, where I said uh, to this group of you know, 500 young people what nobody else seemed to be saying. And part of the reason I said what I said was because no one else seemed to be saying these things, these obvious things about where we are as a nation. And I think we, we just need to encourage each other and, and know that uh, minority voices eventually can find their way uh, to, to larger groups. I think that's happening in the country. I think people are waking up. I think people are waking up to how evil these vaccines are, to how many people are being harmed by the vaccines. The anecdotal information I get everywhere I turn, I hear horror stories of people who got the vaccine and who are, are suffering in different ways. We're at a time, John, there's never enough time with you. Folks, please go to metaxastalk.com, click on the banner, Food for the Poor. Uh, we need your help. John, God bless you. Thank you, my friend. So, I mean, basically you're saying that at this point, because as we mentioned, these, uh, the virus has changed considerably from, from the beginning when these vaccines were designed, basically it becomes a plausibility argument for the use of the vaccines right now? Is that what you're saying? Well, at the, at the basic level, people think vaccines save lives, we'll use them, period. Vaccines are good, you know? And I think for a lot of the childhood vaccines, that is, on average, the prevailing viewpoint. And so people accept this is just another vaccine, therefore it must be good. Now, people forget that there were numbers of vaccines that were pulled off the market. The dengue fever vaccine was pulled off the market. The, the SARS-CoV-1 vaccine never made it anywhere. The MERS vaccine, I think, also. Um, these were self-limited pandemics, so to speak, that did not require vaccination. And there's been, and the, the vaccinologists know this better than I do, that there's a numbers of vaccines that were pulled off the market because of adverse events that they caused and not providing enough benefit. So it's not an all or nothing idea that vaccines are, are uniformly good. They have benefits and hazards, like most things, especially in medicine. And one has to evaluate that trade-off. That's what doctors are supposed to be for, is evaluating trade-offs for their patients and, and helping the patients understand and with informed, enough, informed understanding as to how to figure out what the risks are and how they could best manage them. So what's the bottom line with, at the moment, with the state of the data, you know, the sort of the state-of-the-art data that, that's out there when it comes to um, the risks for children and the vaccination of children to protect them? In my opinion, healthy children and adolescents should not be vaccinated. There's uh, children and, and adolescents who have serious chronic conditions like obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, immune compromise, uh, chronic kidney disease, cancer. Th that's a different question. They, they require a, a personal evaluation to see what their hazards are. 
Um, we know from the study of the Italian data from studies elsewhere that uh, young children have, five to 12 years old, have about a one in a million chance of dying from COVID. Unvaccinated, have a one in a million chance of dying from COVID. So the, the vaccines we have seen have much greater risks of serious adverse events and death. Even in, they're rare, it's infrequent, but it's not zero. And so the question is, which of the, these rare events would you choose to have? A, a rare event from the vaccine that's maybe 10 or 50 fold larger than a rare event from getting COVID. And so even though both are uncommon, one is much larger than the other. So me as a public health person, I say, you choose the one with a lower risk of the same, the same or similar outcome, even though both are infrequent. So even though most children could probably be vaccinated without that much harm, still there are gonna be some, and, and if it's your family and it's your child, you know, it's, it's 100%, not zero, not one in a million. And so those people have to pay attention to that and make rational calculations based on the fact that dying from COVID or having a very serious outcome from COVID in very young children is essentially less likely than being struck by lightning, by being you know, injured or killed in an automobile accident or something like that. Those are risks we kind of take for granted in society, put out of our mind because they're so infrequent. The same would be true for COVID. It's in that range of things. We live in an era of censorship and disinformation, and it can be really hard to know what's true and what's false in this information climate. To get honest information and insights you can trust, join us on Epoch TV. You can sign up for your 14-day free trial at ept.ms slash freetrialjan. That's ept.ms slash freetrialjan. Given all the information you just gave me, and also, you know, especially this element that we've been using um, antibody production as kind of, I guess, a proxy for efficacy of the, of the vaccine in the first place. How is this that these things got approved? Well, these various government scientific agencies like FDA, CDC, and, and so on, have very highly trained scientific people doing the work. However, they are in a very narrow employment field, and that means that if they want to move up and their, their employment pyramids, that most of them won't eventually be able to do that to become department chairs and, and, and heads and things like that. They have to go outside the, the government institutions and the only place for that is pharma. And so if they make decisions that are against their pharma, the, you know, they, the, the companies that they regulate, then they have no opportunity to, to move up you know, by and large in, in their employment. And so there, people are reticent to do that. Sometimes it's ha it happens, but by and large, there's, there's a, a psychological force on people to be compliant in, in these agencies. The second thing that we've observed is that Dr. Fauci has put in the approval panels of these agencies, many people who have conflicts of interest with pharma. No university, no IRB would allow an advisory committee to make decisions with all that conflict of interest. But apparently in NIH, there's no pushback from that because the ethics department is apparently run by Dr. Fauci's wife. And so 
what we've seen is capture of all these regulatory um, approval, you know, panels in the in, and the EPA is another one where, where this has happened, that there is a lot of regulatory capture in all these scientific agencies. And it, it's a problem that it's going to be difficult to solve because the people who are actually doing the work, you know, are very well trained and, and, and highly efficient and expert at doing their jobs and just don't see that they're doing anything untoward compared to the actual evidence that's out there. What that really means is that they are selectively looking at evidence without doing a representative sampling of all the evidence that they should be paying attention to. And that's how they can come up with decisions with evidence favoring one side or the other by ignoring evidence that they don't want to consider by calling it weak evidence or poor quality evidence that using subjective methods in evaluating evidence you can get rid of the stuff that's inconvenient. You know, it's interesting you mentioned the EPA. Um, of course, there's this recent Supreme Court decision. I'm guessing this is, this is you know, what, you're, what you're getting at. So, so tell me about what you're seeing here. Well, I think that what we've seen is the growth of the administrative state that well, I believe was established by Woodrow Wilson and, and his uh, known uh, elitism against the general population. And it, it grew with FDR to the point where the massive administ administrative state of the United States now is a virtual additional arm of government. Now, I believe if you read the, the Federalist Papers, you'll see that it was philosophically established that Congress is the only one who has the power to make laws, that Congress can't delegate making laws to administrative people, that, that basically the administrative state was set up to do work to bring to Congress so that Congress could make the laws. But what happened is they started making the policies and the laws in Congress abdicated that responsibility even though it was illegal to do that. And that's what the Supreme Court finally pushed back on, that it said that EPA can't be making such a wide policy, a policy that has national implications. EPA can make minor policies that are in, in the realm of what administrative bodies should be doing, but not ones that are tantamount to congressional law. For our mutual friend Jeffrey Tucker um, argues that this has, uh, this decision, Gorsuch's, Gorsuch's opinion has broad ramifications well beyond the EPA into these, into other agencies. What are your thoughts? Well, not being an attorney, I, I can't really tell because a lot of these things play out on the details of the case. But the general principle seems right and, and seems that our administrative state has had a massive overreach in terms of making policies that are tantamount to law between CDC, FDA, and, and so on with their, their policies about recommendations for drug use or not drug not use and so on, which become de facto policies and laws across an entire medical establishment, you know, I think that I'm hoping that the court will take this up and, and look at these and, and, and see whether these agencies are really entitled to be making what are tantamount to laws that the Congress should be making. Are you concerned with the continuation and expansion of Chinese gain-of-function research? Well, I think I testified here that, they, that in December 2019, they were doing synthetic biology on a cloning vector of the Nipah virus, which is 60% lethal. We just experienced a 1% lethal virus. 
Uh, my estimates would be that that could set us back a millennium. Um, the, the Black Plague was a 20% lethal event and it was 250 years for civilization to return.